please know I am but a humble Ravenpuff and do not own or take credit for any of the magical fanfictions on this podcasting channel. Nor do I own any rights or magical say on J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter characters that are mentioned within these stories. These fanfictions are the result of much more creative and dedicated minds than my own, and I will be introducing these authors as well as where to find their other works at the beginning of every episode. Hello, my magical brethren, and welcome to Fox's Fix, a podcast that attempts the sonorous charm on some of your favorite Harry Potter fan fictions. So whether you're taking the night bus across town, denoming your garden, or simply shopping through Diagon Alley, this is a podcast that allows even the busiest witches and wizards a chance to listen to their favorite fan fiction. So I'd say it's time we take a page out of Fox's book and light up this week's fan fiction. Fox's Fix presents the unabridged audiobook of Isolation, written by Bex Chan and narrated by Fox's Fix. Bex Chan's novel-length fanfiction can be located on fanfiction.net as well as archiveofourown.org. Warning, this fanfiction is rated mature for its explicit language, content, and themes. Chapter 4. Score Draco woke with a start. He had dreamt of the astronomy tower again. The sights, the sounds, the smells had all plagued him ruthlessly, so vivid and vivacious. Even his subconscious was keen to mock him with the fruitful memories, licking away his brain while he slept, so that the scene repeated itself endlessly in his head. They came every night, some more fierce than others, but they were there all the same. Nightmares, tormenting him, reminding him that he was a failure. Failure, failure. Draco groaned into the too soft pillow and turned over, squinting away at the tenacious shaft of sunlight. The autumn sun was irritating and warm on his face, and he didn't like it. It was too garish and deceptive, fooling hopeless morons into believing it wasn't freezing outside. He could already feel the chill creeping along his skin as he pushed away the blankets to set his feet against the bitter floorboards. He shrugged on his robes that he had been given to beat the shiver, adjusting them over his bockers and vest. Ugh, Merlin fucking forbid McGonagall could have supplied him with a set of actual pajamas that might do something to battle hyperthermia. He glanced out of his window but all he could see were roof tiles, bricks, and the brazen sky that was too harsh with the sun. What was the point in having a window without a view? Stupid Gryffindors. He realized how quiet it was then, and the silence buzzed in his ears, eased only slightly by faraway birds. He arched a confused eyebrow, realizing something at the back of his brain was telling him he'd already woken once today, if it still was today. Yes, he'd definitely woken already. He could sense the whispers of recollection blowing against his nerve endings. It had been the mudblood who roused him again, with their sodding shower and clumsy footfalls. He remembered mumbling a luscious list of swear words into his mattress as he listened to her uncouth movements, and he had been only four obscenities away from marching in there with dangerous intentions. But then... A door had clicked closed and the sounds had stopped. She'd gone. Thank fuck. So the warmth had soothed him back into slumber, back to the nightmares. Leaving the bed, he slipped out of the room and searched for something to do, 
and something to eat. He helped himself to a glass of milk and some cereal that Granger must have left out, reminding himself that he really needed to learn some wandless cooking skills if he ever wanted a warm meal here. Asking Granger was obviously out of the question. He poured himself a second bowl of breakfast as his eyes settled on the clock and he realized with an agitated breath it wasn't morning at all, not breakfast. It was almost three in the afternoon, the official sign that a normal sleeping pattern was lost with his wand and alongside his pride. His eyes went to the main door, and while he knew it was inevitably pointless, he set his bowl of cereal down and decided he would test it. The second his fingers grazed the handle, Spark shot up the length of his arm, crackling in his veins like spitting flames. Shit, he cursed, eyeing the red sting crowning his fingertips. With a resigned breath, he went back to the kitchenette and turned on the tap to soothe his buzzing skin. His eyes fell to the kitchenette's tiles, and he started to count, needing something to do, needing to keep busy. You're very quiet, Neville frowned giving her a long look. Are you doing okay, Hermione? Hermione's mouth somehow molded into a too-bold smile. I'm fine, she assured him smoothly, running her hands over her strategically placed textbook. I have an arithmetic essay due, and I'm just trying to think. It wasn't technically a lie, but she completed her essay four days ago. She anticipated a few awkward silences between her and her friends, when she agreed to dinner in the Great Hall, and had purposely brought something that she could divert her attention to. I mean, who would bother disputing her need to study? Sheamus, Dean, Ginny, and Luna had been evidently surprised when she had entered the Great Hall with Neville, but had futilely done their best to involve her anyway. She was grateful for their efforts. Really, she was but the conversation was awkward enough between the four other Gryffindors and the Ravenclaw without her input. Everyone just skimmed over the subject of war, of Voldemort, and that honestly annoyed her. But she desired company that morning, people who she understood and could safely call friends. After all, it wasn't anyone's fault that times of turbulence could strain relationships, and it felt normal to sit with them. So, she simply nodded and offered them one-word answers, scribbling down the occasional annotation for effect. Nobody else is putting any effort into their essays, Neville mumbled quietly, and the others didn't pause their conversation about Quidditch if they heard him. I guess everyone thinks it's a little pointless at this moment, but I know how you are with your studies, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. She genuinely adored Neville and his clumsy sincerity. He was just so endearing it made her heart ache sometimes, and she knew she wouldn't have agreed to meet with the others if he hadn't been there. It helps to be distracted, she offered with a meek shrug. He gave her a small nod of understanding before Sheamus mentioned his name and dragged him back into their discussion on, oh, oh hell, she didn't even know what they were going on about. She pretended to go back to her chart-decorated pages, but found her sleepy gaze steering over to the Slytherin table. It was empty, of course. Of 250-odd students that had returned to Hogwarts, only 32 bore green ties. 
All were fourth years or younger and had taken to dining and socializing with other houses in small groups. None of them wanted to be associated with the stereotypes of their house and had done everything to avoid association with the snake emblem. As far as she knew, they didn't even sleep in the dungeons anymore and had taken up the many spare beds cluttered around various dorms. It was honestly sad. They were so desperate to avoid assumptions and bad impressions, even though their presence at Hogwarts alone was proof enough that they didn't agree with Voldemort's views. They were just like everyone else, hoping for safety and praying for it all to end. She hated Malfoy just a little bit more in that moment, for being so fickle and conforming to the stereotypes that came with Salazar's legacy. Her stare evidently waltzed up the table to land on the spot that she had seen him sit. She remembered how awful he looked during six year and scolded herself for being so naive to the signs that had been coming. She could remember her comments to Harry about him and how she almost sounded concerned. How could she have been so blind? Hermione? A soft feminine voice pulled her back to the present and she turned to face Luna. You okay there? You look a little distant. She fought hard not to squint at the irony lace comment. I'm fine, Luna, she sighed, gesturing to her book, just having a bit of difficulty focusing on this. I think I might just head to the library. Already? You've barely touched your food. Ginny frowned, and Hermione noticed her concern was genuine. The brunette glanced down at her half-nibbled Sunday roast. I'm just not that hungry, Hermione shrugged, pushing her plate aside. I had quite a big breakfast. She could see their reluctance to believe her, and she couldn't blame them. She knew she had lost weight since Harry and Ron left, but it wasn't so much that she was starving herself, or really eating less food at all. She just ate at normal times. It was the insomnia again. Maybe she should take Slughorn up on his dreamless sleep potion after all. Do you want some company to the library? Neville offered earnestly. I guess I could work on my herbology essay. No, no, that's fine. Hermione shook her head, rising from the table. I know you don't like the library, and you haven't even finished your dinner. I might pop up later then, he compromised, spearing another sprout with his fork. It was nice to see you, though, Hermione. It really was, Ginny nodded, accompanied with a hum of agreement from Sheamus and Dean. Will you come see us tomorrow? No, Hermione thought to herself, but out loud. I'll try, Hermione breathed quietly, giving her fellow lions and the blonde eagle a soft smile. It was nice to see you all, too. She gathered her belongings and turned to leave with a delicate wave in their direction. She could already hear their hushed tones fluttering amongst the great hall as she left, discussing how bad she looked, no doubt. They would talk about the dark smudges under her bloodshot eyes and how her skin had turned a shade paler. Nothing vicious or remotely backstabbing, just the truth, just words of worry. Perhaps she would have felt guilty if her body could accommodate any more negative emotions. But honestly, it couldn't. Thoughts of Malfoy had pretty much filled her to the brim with spicy notions, and combined with a lot of loneliness and a dash of despair, she just didn't have the room. The hope was still there, though. Just a flicker of optimism about the size of her heart that refused to perish. 
She clung to it desperately sometimes and then cursed it the next moment. It was what kept her going and encouraged her late-night endeavors to read everything about Horcruxes and also what led her to continue her order training with McGonagall. Yes, her hope was still there. It just went missing sometimes. The library was alive for a change. A few third years were crowded around a table discussing some potions homework, and another desk was full of set of fourth years. Madame Pence was tucked away in her usual spot, too, with her beak stuck in a book and her narrow stare peering over the pages to watch the students. Hermione offered the sullen librarian a nod, which wasn't reciprocated, before she looked back around the library with unsure eyes. Hermione spotted another batch of pupils behind a bookcase and decided the library was just too busy for her liking. She needed solitude. She headed to the restricted section and plucked two books she had been needing from the shelf and decided she couldn't stay here if she wanted to read in peace. She slipped the weighty text into her bag and contemplated on going outside, but the weather was hardly suitable for a reading session. She just wanted to go back to her room and curl up on the couch with a hot chocolate and some literature for company. But he was there. Her brow creased with determination. You know what? She was not going to be exiled from her own dorm just because of that bastard. She refused. Why should she have to alter her routine just because of Malfoy? If that slimy prat played up, she could just lock him in his bedroom. She cast a quick concealment charm around the books as she left the library, her intelligence warning her that it wasn't wise for him to know the subject of her interest. If the little swine found out and somehow managed to escape, no doubt he would go skipping back to Voldemort, expecting a pat on the head for foiling Harry and Ron's plans. Her strides back to her dorm were bold and purposeful, building up with her adrenaline ready for confrontation. Mumbling the password to the main door, she shoved open the door harder than necessary, and her eyes found him instantly. Whatever she had expected to find him doing, this wasn't it. He was perched on the counter separating the living space from her kitchenette, with his hands braced at his sides. His shoulders were relaxed, his head was slightly tilted to the side, as he absently tapped one of his fingers against the mahogany surface. He hadn't noticed her yet, even after she closed the door with a silent tug and taken some small steps into the room. She craned her neck so that she can catch the right side of his face, realizing that his familiar scowl was still in place, darkening his features. She wondered briefly how his agitated expression could be so permanent, but then realized that her own mouth had scarcely risen into a smile for several weeks. His scowl wasn't necessarily angry, though. More concentrated? Hermione peered a little closer, like he was a rare and dangerous bird that she had simply stumbled upon. She followed his steadfast glare to nothing but the wall of white tiles, and her lips parted with a look of irritated confusion. What the... What the hell are you doing? Hermione questioned sharply, watching as he flinched in surprise and snapped his head to look at her. Ah, there was his anger. Clearly she had disturbed him in some way, and he was furious about it. Her amber eyes flickered to the tiles again to see if she had missed something, 
but there wasn't so much as a blemish against the ivory ceramic. Bloody hell, Granger, he roared, hopping off the wooden top with fluid movements. Now I've lost count, you stupid little... Count? Hermione repeated, instinctively laying a hand over her pocketed wand. He didn't near her like she expected, just shifted his weight between his legs and regarded her impatiently, about 15 feet away. He still felt too close, though. What were you... What the fuck are you doing here? He snapped quickly. I live here, she hissed in response, crossing to the sofa and dropping her heavy bag. And I have some work to do, so leave me alone. And where exactly would you have me go? He countered, folding his arms over his chest. He rolled his shoulders like he was preparing for a brawl, and she could see his muscles fluctuate under his gray polo neck. I really couldn't care less, she answered crisply. Go to your room. Why should I? Draco growled, eyeing her with a calculating glare. You can come and go as you please, so why don't you go somewhere else? Because this is my room, Malfoy, she yelled, bawling her fist defiantly. You're just here because the Order feels sorry for you. Draco snarled. I'm here because you bloody morons can't mind your own fucking business, he shouted, always sticking your noses in and thinking you're helping. We are helping you. Well, I don't want your fucking help. I never wanted your help, Draco screamed, his tone loud and reverberating amongst the dorm. Well, you've got it, Hermione interrupted calmly, unable to help the haughtiness in her voice. So stop complaining like some spoiled brat that you are, and piss off, Draco interrupted. I'm waiting for you to piss off, the witch retorted. I need to do some work. Why don't you go into your room then? He asked snidely, taking a long stride towards her. Or better yet, sought off to the Gryffindor Tower with the rest of your dickhead friends. Because I shouldn't have to- Why do you Gryffindors always insist on making things more difficult? He questioned, completely serious. You're always chasing trouble, and it's so bloody stupid, and then you wonder why people are always trying to kill you. I can understand why you would find it difficult to understand, Hermione said slowly, lifting her chin, that we are brave enough to stand up for what we believe in. Don't patronize me, Granger. Draco rolled his eyes. Bravery, my arse. You and those fickle idiots crossed the line into stupidity a long time ago. Don't you dare call me stupid, she scowled, removing her hand from her pocket to point a scolding finger in his direction. Very well, he mumbled, taking her aback for a second. You might have some brain cells to rub together, but the orphan and the pauper are just bloody useless. Don't call them that. And there's a lot to be said about your shoddy little group, he continued, taking another stride towards her. When it's the sodding mudblood who has the brains. The muggle instinct coasting through her blood goaded her to reach for the mug on the table and hurl it in his direction and she threw it hard, harder than she had probably ever thrown anything in her life. But he dodged it. Bastard. She watched it shatter against the wall behind him, pretty white china raining down with a few splinters of wood. She snapped her fire-gold eyes back to him, vibrating with unhibited anger when she saw the amusement tugging at his features. I won't tell you again, Malfoy, she spat reigning in her stormy impulses to hex him here and now. 
Go to your room and let me get on with my work. Did I touch a nerve there, Granger? He drawled smugly. Was it the mudblood or my comment about the twat twins? Stop calling them. Why don't you go and irritate them then with your presence? He questioned with a flippant wave. Shut up, Malfoy. No, I'm bloody serious, he insisted, a little intrigued when he noticed her lips twitch. Why the hell don't you go and bother Potter and Weasley instead of me? Because they're not bloody here, Hermione blurted, knowing it probably wasn't the wisest thing to tell him. She instantly saw his smirk stretch and resented the boys just that little fraction more for leaving her here with him. They're not here, she repeated in a calmer tone, willing herself to keep her wits about her. Well, where are they? As if I would tell you, she scoffed. Just leave me, Malfoy, before I... This is classic, he chuckled, licking his lips as though he could actually taste her frustration. And apparently, it was delicious. This certainly explains a lot. She lowered her brow. What are you talking about? Why your face looks like a smacked arse all the time, he told her simply, nearing her again with a winning swagger. Why you always look ready to slit your wrists. Too far. Don't be ridiculous. The golden trio separated, he mused, more to himself. That must hurt, Granger, knowing that the only two people who can actually stand you have up and left you. At least I have friends. But they're not here, are they? He reminded her with a telling click of his tongue. Must be a bugger not being able to get your leg over Weasley anymore. She sputtered, but drew in her mortification with a quick breath. Ron was... Ron was her friend. Nothing more. She had hoped for more and sacrificed her innocence to him before he left with Harry. It had been uncomfortable and he hadn't particularly handled it well. And after that, it had been made painfully clear to her that a relationship with him was off her cards. Although some of those pesky romantic feelings towards him did seem to linger. Maybe after the drama of the war had settled, they could... Ron and I are none of your business, she muttered defiantly, realizing she had probably remained silent far too long. Stop being such a, perhaps you prefer Potter then, he accused with a disgusted snort. Merlin, you three are pathetic. At that moment, she wanted another shot with the mug. But no, she wanted an advantage that didn't rely on her skills as a witch. He was closer now and she noticed briefly that he smelled of orchards and sleep. His actions were too graceful and fluent, like he had planned this all meticulously with her humiliation as his goal. Her fingers flexed with the desire to wrap around her wand, but she wanted to deal with him without magic if she could. She couldn't very well curse him every time they argued, even if it was a ridiculously enticing prospect. She was a clever girl and quick with her tongue. She could handle him. She could. She needed a new approach. So she placed her hands on her hips and attempted to mirror his cockiness. Fair enough. He knew what made her temple tremble, but he had weaknesses too. It must be difficult for you, Malfoy, she said smoothly, pleased when he cocked an eyebrow with curiosity watching the people you deem inferior doing so much better than you. What do you want about? Harry with his quidditch. 
she listed proudly, withdrawing her wand and toying with it between her nimble fingers. Me with my grades? Are you implying I'm jealous, Granger? He questioned sharply, his voice a repulsed rumble in his throat. Because I would rather... It would certainly explain a lot, she reasoned casually, as though she was debating her homework with a friend. She tapped her wand coolly against her palm. Nothing offensive, just a little gesture to remind him that she had magic on her side. Nothing offensive, just a little gesture to remind him that she had magic on her side. All hatred stems from something, you know. I mean, I mean, we have managed to accomplish a fair bit in the last six years. Fucking well done for you. And as far as I can recall, she carried on, ignoring his sarcastic hiss with ease. You have yet to do anything particularly interesting with your life, Malfoy. Shut it, Granger. And anything you have tried to do, Hermione pushed, unable to stop herself now that her impending victory was warming her bones. And anything you tried to do, you have always failed miserably. Shut your mudblood. I remember the time in second year, she went on, rubbing her chin in almost a pensive way. When you fell off your broom and lost the Quidditch game to Harry, wasn't your father there? He snarled and went to grab her, but when she flicked her wand towards him, he halted. I warned you not to discuss my father. And I bet he wasn't too pleased when he found out your grades were second to a mudblood, she said, noting that his scowl hardened when she used the derogatory term for herself. Don't talk about my father he repeated, his voice low. But she faltered when she noticed it wasn't particularly threatening, more irritated, and perhaps a little wounded? Well, that was unsettling. Then don't talk about my friends, she murmured finally, watching his jaw clench as an unvoiced agreement passed between them. He looked a little more human then, and in that moment, she wanted to punch him again. Are you going to leave me in peace, or do I have to put you in your room myself? Draco growled, but to Hermione's utter surprise and bafflement, he actually moved away from her with a couple of backward strides. His rain cloud stare didn't leave her, though. Just stabbed her, like he was trying to melt her away with his will alone. When I get out of this shit pit, and I get my wand back, he started with a dark murmur, just before he reached his door. I'm coming straight for you, Granger. I'm sure you will, she nodded with a trained indifference. His eyes swept up and down her, with a swift swish of his tar puddle pupils. And then, almost in a blur, he was out of her sight, with only the expected loud crash of the door to split her ears. She stared at it, with slightly widened eyes, and chewed her bottom lip with a proud grin yanking the corners of her mouth. She had done it. She had managed to get him to leave her alone without using magic. Hermione fell into the couch and felt a proud giggle shimmy up her windpipe. She had beaten him. She had beaten him, despite her earlier troubles when he had decided to bring the boys into the argument. She had had the last word. She had gotten what she wanted. And while she didn't realize it, she had allowed herself a smile that wasn't forced for the first time since she waved goodbye to Harry and Ron. And that had almost been four weeks ago. 
that bitch. Back in the small space, Draco would swear the four walls had shifted slightly. The room definitely felt smaller, and it made the beginnings of a cool sweat lick his forehead. He had half a mind to charge back in the sitting area and start screaming at her again. But then, what would it accomplish? All she would do was abuse her magic, and he would end up back where he was, but probably in a bit more pain to make his day just that little bit more dismal. Draco covered his face with his palms and dragged his scratching fingers through his hair. He never felt so degraded in his 17 years. When had his life deteriorated so much that he had landed here, supervised like a pissing child by that muggle spawn scum, trying to avoid becoming one of those sanity drain freaks that mumbled nonsense to themselves when the walls had gotten too close. But it could have been worse, he mused. It could have been the weasel. That would have definitely ended in bloodshed by now. At least Granger wasn't a brainless prick that could actually back up her own arguments. He went to the bed and slumped into the fabrics, resting his elbow against his knees and staring at the withered floorboards. His eyes shifted to the bedside table and he opened the drawer, peering inside to find only a discarded quill and a Gryffindor tie. Well, perhaps he could use the tie to hang himself when he had finally gone insane in this place, when the walls finally got too close. He snatched up the quill and waltzed his fingers up the silky feather strands. He glanced back to the drawer to check if there was any ink or parchment, but there wasn't. So he leaned back on his bed and brought the nib to the mahogany headboard. He sliced the dark wood and carved an M and a G and then dissected the letters with a defined line between them. M for Malfoy, G for Granger. He would have put M for Mudblood if his surname didn't start with that same letter. All right. He would admit that she had won today's argument, but he had certainly won yesterday's. It only seemed rational to keep score, and it was something else to feed his habit of counting. He scrawled a short line under each letter to indicate the respective scores and made a silent vow that she wouldn't get any more marks for the duration of his stay here. Then, his eyes went back to the floor, and he started to count. First the floorboards, then the cracks between them. This has been an unabridged audio chapter of Isolation, written by Bex Chan and narrated by Fox's Fix. A special thank you goes out to Bex Chan for allowing me the privilege to read her story. To recommend your favorite Harry Potter fanfiction for future audiobook episodes, please visit Fox Fix Facebook page and Instagram through the links located in our description below. You can also help support us with donations through our PayPal account to help produce and shape in our future narrated fanfictions. Thank you for listening. Please join us next week for a continuation of this magical fanfiction. See you then!